Do you mind shutting the door? Okay. So we were going to explain how the Torah and Hashem are one. Because Abdullah is a mitzvah, and when you do a mitzvah, then you're in the presence of Hashem, because a mitzvah and Hashem are the same thing, right? Are we bringing it back? Are we bringing it back, yeah. So that's why you couldn't stop thinking about Abdullah. Right, for sure. That's my experience in life. Really? Is Abdullah actually a mitzvah? It is. Is it a mitzvah de Is it a rabbinic mitzvah? Which, it is a question whether women are obligated to do Abdullah. They were obligated to have dollar. Same thing. So you, yeah. So the halacha is it depends if you're if you're um, follow the Hasidic halacha authorities or the non-Hasidic halacha authorities. The non-Hasidic halacha authorities say women are obligated to hear Abdullah because they might be obligated to do Abdullah. but women are not allowed to do Abdullah because they might not be obligated to do Abdullah. and so they're making a blessing in vain. So a woman has to hear Abdullah from a man. Yeah, that's true. But, but the right Hasidic halachic authorities say, well, if a woman is obligated to hear Abdullah because she might be obligated, then she can, that's not considered making a blessing in vain if a woman can make Abdullah for herself if she wants. But can she do it with the, with the man present? She could. She wants to okay. do it for herself. She can't do it for him. Right. Well, she has to do it for herself. He could do it for her. Man can make Abdullah for her. No, there's a quite not not no no according to Mishnah Brewer, a woman cannot make Abdullah for herself. What? Well, a man's pregnant. No, at all. She's not like that. My high school class just went into giant question It depends. But there's two opinions, right? It's okay. The Alterba says it's fine. That's because they say if there's no man around, you should rely on the opinions that are, you should rely on the Hasidic authorities that say you can, but there's a lot of authorities that you can't. Okay, so now I have a question. If something's technically not a mitzvah for me and I don't have an obligation to do it, I still get a mitzvah though? Like, it's still a mitzvah when I do that? Um, we follow the view that the answer to that is yes, and the Gemara is debated. We follow the view that the answer is yes. There are certain exceptions, but yeah. And then if you're Ashkenazi, you can even make a bracha on it. If you're Sephardi, you can't, so. Because Ashkenazim, we're very liberal and open-minded. That's not why. <laughs> no. Okay, so what does it mean? So we say like this. The Hashem and the Torah are one because the Torah is the wisdom and will of the Holy One, blessed be He. And the whole wisdom of the Holy One, blessed be He, and His will are one with His glorious essence. It's not my favorite word. But I, one of my favorite words is noble. Yeah, but nobody uses it. Says something about our culture that nobody uses the word noble. Ouch. That was a noble endeavor. It's a quite, he was quite a noble person. It's a noble attribute. People don't speak like that anymore. Um, and how are we to explain or to prove that he and his glorious essence are one with his wisdom and will? Is based on the idea of the Rambam says that Hashem is the knower and the knowledge. Now, what is the knower? The knower is the one. Is the right the person? What's mean that you're a knower? It means that part of you has been. That means that part of you has been shaped. Yeah, it's shaper. Right, the shaper mm-hmm. is what the. Is, what is being shaped is the knower. What is being shaped is the knower, and the sh- thing that's doing the shaping is the knowledge. Now, what is being shaped in you? Your intellect. What is doing the shaping? 
the intellect. So the intellect is both the knower and the knowledge. But it's not totally united. Why is it not totally united? Because right, it's all a potential. You potentially can shape yourself. You can potentially be shaped, but you actually have to go through the process of doing it. right? Um, whereas with Hashem, it's as if that process has already been done and to the ultimate. So it's, so to speak, as if he is the knower and he is the knowledge, but there's no distinction between them. Or could there be, right? That's what the Rambam means. Good? And so the idea here, what I want to take away from this idea is, okay, very simply, when we say that Hashem is the knower and the knowledge, are we talking about saying that Hashem is two things glued together really, really tightly? No. no what are we saying? That it is the same thing, but you could look at it two different ways, okay? So there's an idea in philosophy, okay? I want to, now we're going to move from one thing to that. There's an idea in philosophy, which that you can think of two things one, because there's something that unites them. So we can think of a couple as a unit, right? Because they're married, right? So we can think of them as like one household, right? So it's the mitzvah of Hanukkah candles, the mitzvah of Shabbos candles. Um, all the members of the same house? In fact, they don't even need to be married. Everybody living in the same house, right? Mitzvah? Only have one mitzvah, technically speaking. Okay? And what's considered living in the same house? What unites them all together? Anyone know? No. They, 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 they're, well, it's not just that they eat together, they all, they, they're, they're, they're eating out of the same kitchen. <laughs> it's called the, they're all in the same, they're all, they're all, literally all eating the same table. Meaning that if I, we're all living together, right? But I have my own separate food with my own separate kitchen and you don't touch it. And you have yours and like I have my own sleeping space. Then that actually is a different situation. I have space that you can't go to. I have food you can't eat, right? And even though we're technically in the same building, those are two different households. What about like colleges? Like, it gets very complicated. It gets very, very complicated. It's really complicated. But so the idea is that there's, I mean, you bring this up, is there's something you make all the household. Therefore, right? So like, um, if you have, it, it, so the apartment that you live in, like common eating space, yeah. right? And the shiva provides common food for all of you? Yeah. What? That's here though. Yeah. No, but you have, right? So, so in that sense, right, you're not each independently obligated to light Shabbos candles, strictly speaking. You're not each independently obligated to light Hanukkah candles, strictly speaking. I'm not getting to the issue that there's an idea of doing room and lighting Hanukkah candles, or Shabbos candles, every night. But in one room, we light Shabbos candles in the apartment. Right, so that happens in the men's program. I mean, there's one bacher, he lights Shabbos candles for the Holy Shiva, that's it. Because there's no reason for... Because the, the obligation is on the obligation is on the, on, the, on the household. It's not about the women. If there's a woman to do it, it's better the woman does it. There's no woman to do it. Um, and we can think the same thing right the body. A body is made of many different organs, many different cells, right? But there's something that brings it all together, right? Okay. Then there's a different idea that two things are one, which is that you relate to something in two different ways. Okay? So the classic examples are something called the morning star. Does anyone know what the morning star is? The morning star. The star that is visible even in the early, even in the early morning. So it's starting to get light, and yet it's still very bright. Ancient times was called the morning star, and it's right near the horizon. And there was something called the evening star. Guess what the evening star is? Visible very, very early in the evening, even though it's, very, it's still light out. Now, most people did not know that the morning star is the evening star. But do you know what the morning star is? The planet Venus is very bright, and so you can see it in the early morning, even when it's light out. 
and it's usually close to the horizon. And in the evening, you can see it in the early evening. Right. Right? And not everybody is an astronomer to realize that you're seeing the same thing. So we walk around, there's the morning star, there's the evening star. Not everyone realizes that the morning star is the evening star, right? And that's not a star. Well, it depends what you mean by star. Right? Have you ever heard the term shooting star? It used to be that the term star referred to bodies in the sky. Now we've used it specifically to refer to like giant balls of nuclear fission. But that's why, um, like in Hebrew, the Hebrew for planets is kochave lechet, which literally means moving star, because they move throughout the sky. Anyway, so you have these other things, right? Or for instance, we could say like Rabbi Kaufman, right, is the teacher of the Mayan Otanya class, right? Now, theoretically, Rabbi Kaufman could be one person, whoever teaches time could be another person, and you might not know that they're the same person, right? But that's not the unification of two things. That's telling you what you thought was two is actually one, one right? So what is the Rambam saying? This is the key takeaway. What is the Rambam saying when he says that Hashem is the knower and the knowledge? That there's something uniting the knower and the knowledge? No, that it's one. No, that, that you thought that knower is the Right, what you would call the knower as distinct from the knowledge is just when you talk about, first of all, when you talk about your own mind that's even already somewhat, not 100% correct to completely differentiate them. But it's especially not correct to talk about that with Hashem. Okay, so now let's go back and take that idea and put it outside. Now, I'm, 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 being, a, I'm being a little bit sloppy or not rigorous because if we'd be rigorous about this, we would be here for the next four weeks and I don't want to be here for the next four weeks. So we're taking this idea that we've learned from the Ram. Now we're going to copy and paste that onto this idea of Hashem's essence and his wisdom and will. Okay? Now, what I want to do is I first want to define the term essence. Then I want to define the term will. Then I want to define the term wisdom. Then I want to talk about why we'd group wisdom and will together and essence separately, right? And once we've done all of that, then we're going to talk about what does it mean that his wisdom and will are one with his glorious essence based on the same idea that we saw by the Rambam, okay? Okay. So, what is, which one did I say first? Essence, right? Okay, what is Hashem's essence? Well, the easiest way to deal with that is to take out Hashem and just talk about the concept of essence itself. Okay. So, does anyone know the meaning of the word essence in philosophy? No, right. What do you think the word essence means? Not philosophical. Well, I know the terms like purest, the, the purest. Right. What? No. Okay. So for this, it's better to work in Hebrew, because um, essence is a fancy word, and Hebrew doesn't have fancy words. So does anyone know how to say um, essence in Hebrew? His essence. We'll go with his essence. His essence. His essence. Okay. Which could also be just short to Atma. Okay. Now, the vav at the end just makes it his, right? Okay, so we're going to do a little grammar lesson, right? We're going to vary this up. You have atzmai, you have atzmi, you have atzmeich, atzmecha, right? Atzmeinu, atzmam, 
Anyone speak Hebrew? Isn't this ourselves? That's right. Myself, himself, herself, or yourself feminine, yourself masculine, ourselves, themselves. So what is the essence of something? The self. The self. That's all it means. Essence is a fancy word for the self. Okay, so of course Hashem's Hashem self. Ah, right. Okay, now let's just say, what is the self? That's always a very, very complicated question. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to. We're going to make it simple. Okay. I will quote you a saying of the Katsuka Rebbe. Okay? Katsuka Rebbe said, if I am me... Because you are you. Yes, you did. I could. I, I said it before. I am me because you are you. And you are you because I am I. Then I am not me. And you are not you. Mm-hmm. But if I am me because I am me. And you are you because you are you. Then I am myself and you are yourself. Right? So what's that basic idea mean? What is the self? I can't That's right. The self is, right? The self is myself. If I can explain to you how myself depends on something else, is like something else, is similar to something else, then that thing is the thing about me which is not uniquely myself. This is why the self drives everybody crazy. Okay? We like to think of ourselves as unique. Okay? Now, there are things about you, this is a very interesting thing, there are things about you which are unique, but they're not really important. And there are things that are important that are not unique. But you cannot find a single thing about yourself for the most part, maybe one or two exceptions, that you can say coherently what it is, that it is both unique to you and really important. I challenge you to come up with something. There's like one set of things that's an exception to this rule, but... What's the one sort of thing? You first come up with the... What's something that is unique to you and really important, really significant? Like, what's unique to me is I am the only person sitting in this chair at this very moment. That is unique to me, right? There will never has been, nor will ever be, a person sitting in this chair at this very moment. That being said, is it really significant that I'm sitting in this chair at this moment? No. Okay. What? Yeah, but soul is just a fancy word that you don't know what it means. <laughs> right? Let's ask the things that you can know. Like when you say, it, you know what it means. Yeah, except you. How many people are there on Earth? Well, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting to do this. There are approximately eight billion people on Earth, right? Eighty billion? Eight billion. Eight billion. Eight billion. So we're just a math. Okay? Because sometimes when you say things without actually seeing it... Okay. So there are how many people? We're going to just go with approximately... Eight billion. Eight billion. That's a lot of people, right? Okay. Now, for argument's sake... Okay? Can we argue about this? We could. Are we going to? No. No. Let's say that there are how many aspects of personality that are distinct aspects? Like, you can be more introverted or more extroverted. That's one aspect, right? So how many of them are there? Just come up with a number, for argument's sake. 15. That's like big, right? Most, most psychologists don't go that much. Yeah. But let's go with... It's not everything can be neatly categorized or less than... Like, so yeah, but we want things that are of significance, right? No, if we like get too nitty-gritty, then the differences become meaningless. No, so I'm saying, like, you can make, like, big umbrella terms and, like, bring that down to, like, maybe five or six. No, eight. Okay, so we're going to go with ten because ten is a nice number. But that just gives us an order of magnitude. Okay. Now, let's... And I'm just using an example of what I'm going to say, how introverted or extroverted a person is, right? Now, 
it's not black and white. It's not like you either introvert or an extrovert, right? No. It's on a scale, right? Mm-hmm. How precise does our scale need to be? Are there like, there's not two options. Are there three options, four options, five options? Three. Gradient. How, yeah, how detailed do you need to be? Right? Like how deep is the, how, 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 yeah, at, at some point the difference between one person and another person might be slight, but it's insignificant. We don't care about that degree of difference, right? I guess like we can be like to one extreme to the other extreme and then balance in between. Well, so psychologists like to be a little bit more sophisticated than that, but not crazy. So we'll use 100, right? So we can say like, you know, out of all the people in the world, right, are you like on the far extreme of introverted? So then we'll call you 100% introverted. Are you on the far extreme of extroverted? And then you're 0% introverted, right? If you're right in the middle, you're 50. If you're a little above, you're 51, 52, right? You get, you get how this works? Okay. So. There are, we're going to say there's 10, as- 10 different types of person- aspects of personality, right? Mm-hmm. They vary by how much? Scale of 100, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's... So, how many different possibilities are there? Mm-hmm. So, so, you're saying 1,000 possibilities? You, well, you could have, one second. So, the thing is like this. You have... This is not the right way of doing it, right? So, on any particular one, you could be anywhere in 100, right? Right? So, you would have to do 100 to the power of, how many times is 100 multiplied? 10. Right? Do you do 100? Times 100, right? Because you could be, you know, really far on this one on one way, there's one this one that way, right? Okay, right? So, you do 100 times 100 times 100. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, and you do that ten times. How many is that? How much number is that going to be? It's a big number, right? But then you have to think about it. You ask yourself, wait a minute. The psychologists, right? They're really, really picky about these, like you know, sixteen percent, fourteen percent. Let me ask you a question: Is there between sixty percent and fourteen percent like really a big difference? That like, wow, wow, that, right? You think you're so special because you're at 16% and you're not at 14% on that particular attribute. It depends on what it is. Like, if your IQ, let's do intelligence as an example, yeah? If your IQ is 136 and someone else's IQ is 138, like, wow, there's a significant difference in team your intelligence that really, that's what, like, this person is smart, this person's not so smart. Really, it's not really work that way. Like, it's good for, like, large statistical analysis, but, like, when you're interacting with people, right, the difference between a person with an IQ of 138 to 136 is what? Not really anything, right? So that means we need to start going back and thinking about, right? And it turns out that when you start thinking about, like, the psychologists, with all their scientific things, they break it down to 100. But, like, in real life, we think of significant differences. Like, wow, that person's really introverted. That person's, like, normal. That person's a little, right? 100 seems way too much. Two, three is probably a little bit. So let's pick some other number. That seems a little bit more, and we use these kinds of numbers all the time, right? Like on a scale of one to 10, is that a pretty smart person or not, right? Yeah, that makes sense? Yeah. Okay. So then that would mean that you have these 10 attributes multiplied by 10. That give you one with 10 zeros afterwards. Which means like this. Okay. No, sorry. If you follow this, and this is like way overestimating, 
then that would mean that there's, if you say that there's 10 distinct things that differentiate people one from the other, and they can vary into 10 within 10 degrees that really matters between people, then how many different kinds of people do you have maximum? This number. How many people do you have? Almost that same number, right? Yeah. Which means, and now, the likelihood that every person is unique is pretty low, right? Likely that there's, you know, if it's all arbitrary and random, right? right. So, it, right, it turns out. That's really bad. Okay, now, but here's the really cool thing, right? It turns out that in most everyday things, if, if you want to be even more, get to things more everyday things, it turns out that most things, most people cannot differentiate more than five personality types, personality issues. And we generally go on a scale of five. Like, really to one extreme or the extreme. And so if you do, like, mo like 10 is a big number. Yeah. Yeah, but it turns out that most things, like most, right, and you're right, it comes back down to usually around five. And, just, and, if, you, and if you say people, look, scale of one to 10 is pretty fine grade. You're like, really, what's the difference between someone who's like introverted at a six versus introverted at a seven? Can you really, like, like, you can really, like, really introverted, really not introverted in the middle or in somewhere, like... I just feel like six and seven is significant if that's your scale somewhere between ten. But if you're telling me, like, seven and eight, that would be more like, what's the difference? What? Okay, so what happens if you now make your scale between five and five things? You're really not special. Right. Do you see what was happening? Is like, the more we want to make the thing we're, we're measuring, like, really important, it turns out, it turns out that it's more generic. Right? This is why companies like Google and Facebook want your information. Because it turns out you're not unique. You fit into a certain kind of profile. If they get enough information about you, they can say, well, people with your profile have purchased this product. So we should advertise this product to you. Do you That's the official business model. But like everything you just explained is real? Yeah. Sure it does. It just doesn't say. It just doesn't say. Please fill in all your personal data. What it says is, use our free services to do whatever web searching about what interests you. Purchase products by searching from them through our webs through our through our search engine. Right? Please use our free email service where we can read all of your communication. Now, I mean, there are eight. Look, if there are eight billion. Look, if we say you're one in a million, right? That means there's another 8,000 people just like you. It can't be. Okay, they're not just like you, but they're like you enough that the differences between you and them are not that significant. Well, where else do you lie? I've never, like, you know, how often do you meet people that are just like you? But you should meet them pretty often. No, because. Right. Although the thing is. There's like people, a lot of people to sit through. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, now. Again, we can say you're very unique when we start tacking on more details, but the question is how many, really, those are the things that make you unique, that make you special? So, so the answer, so, so, the, so, so the answer to this is, the way Hasidus would explain it, is that there is something about you that is both significant and unique to you. I have a question. Watch just one second. But the thing that's significant and unique to you is very ethereal and you can't describe it. You know, and one of the reasons you can't describe it is because you're the only one that has it. It's unique to you. That's and so it's unlike anything else. There's not even a word for it. So all you can just simply say is, it's my self, it's my me, it's my essence, it's my whatever, right? 
It's the thing about me that makes me me, that no matter what happens, I stay me, and that's really important. And I can't say anything else about it because if I could say anything else about it, it would be similar to someone else. That's the essence of something or someone. So now what's the essence of God? The essence of God is what makes God God. Yeah, we don't understand that at all. That's right. Okay, but we're good. We know, but at least we know what we mean by the term, right? I mean, I explained a word. I haven't told you what God's essence is. I just told you what the meaning of the word is. The meaning of the word is there's something about being God that's unique to being God that's pretty significant about being God. And whatever that is, it's what makes God God. That's what makes God God. And the word for that in one word is his essence. essence. Or if we wanted to use more generic wording, his very self, right? Or if we wanted to use Hebrew, atzmusay or atzmay, right? Good? Okay. Make sense? I don't know what it is, but I at least know what I'm referring to. So, like, we don't know what every person is. That's right. Which is why we should be very humble in everybody else's presence. That's crazy. So, well, you, you don't know, know everyone you know all you. That's right. So, yeah. We don't know what everyone else is. We don't even know who we are. Yeah. That's right. We don't know. Okay, when he fucked up, I can't. so weird. Yes. Okay, you always want to have it. Now you have a choice at this point. You have a choice. The choice is either we can do it. Either we can make a detour, which is really interesting, or we can keep going. Really interesting. Okay. That's what we're here for. Okay. So, there are two Hebrew words. You must keep these Hebrew words clear if you ever want to understand Hasidus in a way that is going to be relevant and not self-destructive. You can guess what the two words are. Guess. No. Did we guess it? There's two words. You must know what these two words means and how these words are actually very, very different. What is right now? I should guess any two words. I mean, she said she wanted to guess. Oh, okay. No, that's fine. Okay. The two words are etzem and yeshus. means what? The etzem of something means? The self of something, right? Atzmi, myself. Atzmech, yourself, right? Atzmechem, yourselves, right? Good? Okay. Yeshus comes from the word yesh. Yesh means there is, right? Yesh shulchan, there is a table. Yesh kiseh, right? Yesh rabbi kachman, right? Does mean there is it? No, sir. Yesh means there is. Yeah. No, it's all. something is there is something, it's not. What? They're not opposite. Yesh means there is. One second. Yesh means there is. Yeshus means the property of the thing that there is. So, why is it possible to say that there is a table? Because that their table has a there isness to it. There isn't a right. The thing that you can relate to and say, look, yesh, there is this thing, is because that thing has some existence. Yesh. You can yeah, there's a different yeah. It's a strange word. Anyway, we don't have a good one word for this in English, okay? But Hasidus, as probably many of you know, thinks that Yesh is bad, right? You've heard this idea? Yesh yeah. is bad? Yesh is bad. This is bad. And atmos, atzem, is always good, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's put this in English. Okay, so myself is great. It's all about getting in touch with myself, right? But the fact that there's me, that's bad. Does that make a lot of sense? No, no. no. Which is why most people don't understand this stuff. What? You just, you know, it does make sense, you just define it differently. Oh, yeah. so here's the thing, yeah? When I look in the mirror and I'm like, actually, I have a mirror right now. That guy, he looks good. Well, the thing that I'm looking at, is that me? No. No. That's crazy. That thing's, right, that's not me, right? And so what am I approving of? What am I, what am I, 
What am I approving? I'm approving of this image in the mirror. Right. 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 The reflection. Right. And what am I disapproving of? You. If I if I don't like it. If I if I look at the mirror and like ugly. The image of you. The image. The reflection. The reflection. But now that reflection, right? Is that reflection myself? No. No. Okay. Now here's the thing. But it could be your view of yourself. So, here's the thing. I'm not going to make us go around the room and do this, but we all have things that we think this is myself. For instance, it could be a character trait. I am a smart person. I'm a kind person, right? It could be an accomplishment, right? I'm a successful scientist, a successful teacher, right? It could be whatever, right? But there are things in our mind that we're like, this defines me. This is what I am. Okay. What? Yeah? Right, yeah. Okay. Now, ask you a question. Yeah? What would happen if, let's say, you think of yourself as the smartest person in class, and then someone who's smarter than you joins the class? Or you go to a class where there's someone that's much smarter than you. How do you feel? Right, so basically what has happened is that that person is killing you in a, in a psychological sense, right? Because if I am, if, if, if the thing that makes me me is that I'm the smartest person in the class. It doesn't make you you, it's a part of you. Please don't interrupt me. If you see that as what makes you you, that you're the smartest person in the class, that's how you view yourself, and then someone else comes along and they're the smartest person in the class, then they are taking whatever makes you you away from you. Okay? And so this notion of being the smartest person in the class becomes something you become very protective of, very defensive of. And it starts governing the decisions you make. Who you like, who you dislike. What if you like to think of yourself as a kind person? Same thing, right? Mm -hmm. okay? What if you think of yourself as a mean person? It doesn't matter. So what ends up happening is like this. We all have these things, right? Sometimes they're completely false, but, and that's a deeper problem. But even if they're true, but these things, these things are not ourselves. They're really not, right? Like if one day, God forbid, you woke up and you were not as smart as you had been previously, you would still be yourself, right? If one day you woke up and you were much, you were much kinder than you'd ever known yourself to be, you would still be yourself, right? So anything you identify with, any personality trait, any accomplishment, if you win the Nobel Prize and then they call you up the next day and say, oh, actually, it was a mistake, it wasn't you, it was someone else, you're still yourself. Right. Right? So all the things that you can point to and say, this is me, those aren't really you, are they? No. But do we feel like they are? Yeah. Okay. So yeshus are the things about ourselves that we point to and say, look, yesh, there I am, this is me. There is Rabbi Kaufman. Proof being, he's smart, he's charismatic, he teaches a tiny share, blah, blah, that's Rabbi Kaufman. And so what happens if those things go away? I'll feel like Rabbi Kaufman is going away. And so I'll be very defensive of that. I'll be very protective of that. And so what ends up happening is we spend a lot of our life, instead of being ourselves, is what the Kutzkerib was getting at, instead of being ourselves, of, try, of trying to build up a particular image of the thing we think we are and then be very protective of that. Mm -hmm. right? it's, we all, I think, appreciate the silliness of somebody who devotes their life to amassing a lot of money and making sure that they don't lose it. That seems like a silly goal in life. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, right? Because why is that a silly goal? Because money is just a means to like, do other things, right? What if a person spends their whole life amassing reputation or a sense of accomplishment or a certain, or a certain set of character traits? or anything, 
No matter how, or even being very religious or being very pious, it doesn't matter. The point is, the minute you can, the minute you, like, this is the things that make me me, then what ends up happening is that your life starts revolving around this, this basically this artificial thing that you've created. It's like going with your own personal idol. And then that becomes something that becomes a barrier between you and everything else. And there's a barrier between you and the people you relate to, and a barrier between you and God. And that's what Yeshus is. Yeshus is not yourself. Yeshus is the thing that you point to and call yourself. And it always does what to your actual self? It covers it over and blocks it. it yes? Yeah, I hear that in all my texts. But then where's the place of like working on certain characteristics or working on things if it's not, like, just don't deal with that. It's not you. Is it good to be poor? What? Is it good to be poor, all things being equal? No. Does that mean my life goal has to be making money? But if I'm like, oh, I don't have enough money to do the things that are important to me, I guess I should go make some more money. No, but like so much of Hasidus is like working on herself. No, so much about Hasidus is working about something else. Working Not working on yourself. So much of Hasidus is about two things. It's about getting in touch with yourself yeah. and making sure that you have this other thing, which is called your existence, yeah. actually is a good, it reflects yourself. Let me give you an example, okay? So let's say, Let's say you really care about something, really, like genuinely care about something. Do you always act like you care about that thing? Yeah. Okay. So there's a disconnect between your actions and yourself, right? Yeah. Do you always feel like you care about that thing? No. So there's a disconnect between how you feel and your very self. Yeah. Is it always that you're 100% convinced that what you care about is the ultimate truth? Or sometimes you have doubts and sometimes you're unsure and sometimes people make convincing arguments? So that means there's a disconnect between your intellect and yourself, right? Okay. So all these things, so they're not in line with yourself, right? Okay. That's a major problem, right? But then there's a whole other problem that gets layered on top of that other problem, which is then we find, right? Which is that we're busy pretending that something else is ourself. We're busy pretending that our reputation, our wealth, our achievements, our, our mood, whatever it is, that's ourself. And therefore, we're very protective of it, right? Have you ever heard of this notion of self-esteem? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to be very technical right now. What does the word esteem mean? Uh. No. Uh. What? Yeah, it means the value, right? It's related to the word estimate. Estimate means like how much. So if I hold you in high esteem, it means I think, of, I think very high of you, very low esteem with low value, right? So the way you evaluate something, okay? With similar, from the same root as the word estimate, okay? So when you're esteeming something, right? Now, it eventually got used more only in the positive sense for the most part. Okay, now, so what is self-esteem, which is the value placed on what? Yourself. Okay, here's the thing, though. If you're valuing yourself, who's the value, who's doing the, who's, if you're, if you're placing the value on yourself, how many things are there? There's three. That's right. You have, you have the one that is valuing, 
you have the one being value. And then the value. Right? And then the standard of value. For instance, let's say I hold very highly of you because you show up on time to class, right? So I'm the one who's doing the valuing, right? You're the one being valued, right? And the standard of what makes something valuable is this independent notion of being on time to class is an important thing, right? Yeah, so like a holy trinity. Okay, so now, if you have self-esteem, and we all do, sometimes we have, I prefer to use positive and negative rather than high and low because I think it makes the point clearer. If you have positive self-esteem, what does that mean? There is some part of you that's doing the valuing, looking at some other part of you that's being valued, and saying you measure up to some standard, and therefore I approve of myself. Right? I am looking at myself and saying myself meets up some standard. What happens if I don't meet up to that standard, whatever that standard is? Then I have negative self-esteem, right? Now, obviously it can be complicated and fluctuate, okay? So here's the thing, okay? This is, I want to be clear. I'm only using terms in psychology because they happen to match up with chassidus. I am strongly of the view that you should never work backwards and go from psychology back to chassidus. There's something called a self-concept. You know what a self-concept is? Also known as a self-image. Yeah. It's the thing that you think that you are. Mm -hmm. When you say myself, what is the thing you think you're referring to? Because you're not just like, oh, myself, the thing that makes me, me, the, no, that's not what you think. You're, you have like an image in your mind or a concept in your mind, right? And, when, and that's and that thing, right? That thing's the thing you're very protective of. That's the thing that filters what you hear from everyone else, mm -hmm. right? There's this like artificial version of you based on interesting things about yourself that you, like for instance, Bias. it's artificial because, I'll give you an example, okay? Biased, maybe. Artificial means that it's, that it's put together. What ends up happening is you, let's assume right now that there's total, you're not making things up you know, out of whole cloth, right? So what happens is you take a few things, whatever those things are, a few personality traits, a few accomplishments, a few behaviors, a few desires, right? And you put that together and you've created a character, like a character in a story, and you call that thing yourself. You do this without consciously intending to do so, okay? And you call that thing yourself. And then you look at that thing and you're like, do I like that thing or do I not like that thing? Is that the kind of thing? Right? And if you think that thing is a hideous, disgusting thing, then what do you have? Negative self-esteem. And what if you think that thing is a wonderful, it's God's gift to mankind, you think you have? Positive self-esteem. It's way more complicated than this. Well, yeah. When what you're valuing isn't actually you. Right. Well, but what Chassidus would say is like this. Is that anything that you're going to be valuing isn't actually Isn't actually you. Right. Now, there is some, now, to be fair, there's something else. There's something, if we want to be, be a little more fair about all this whole thing, there's something which is in, in philosophy, in, in psychology, it's called implicit self esteem and explicit self esteem. Do you know the difference between these two? Okay. Here's the thing, okay? You walk into a class and you feel really good because like, you know that you're smart and you're successful and you're gonna do well in this class. People are gonna admire you and so you think really highly of yourself. Is that positive or negative self-esteem? That's, that's positive self-esteem. That is called positive self-esteem. Okay? Because there's this sense of who you think you are and you are, value, you are looking at it and you're saying, that thing, it's really good. I'm proud of that thing. That thing that I think that I am. 
I'll get back to it with the artificial stuff later. Okay? Person comes into class, right? And by the way, it could be literally the same exact situation, right? But they put together the details in such a way that they look at that thing that they think they're like, this is like ridiculous. This is gonna like I'm 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 failure, this is gonna fail also, there's no point. What do they clearly have? Negative self-esteem, yeah? Okay. Now implicit self-esteem, right, which I don't know if self-esteem is the, is the best way of putting it is like this, okay? Are you going to have problems in life? Are you going to have problems in life? For sure. For sure. Okay. Are you going to be able to handle your problems? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes, well, I'm hard. So there are people, like, forced to be able to handle my problems. Yes, why? Why not? But why, why shouldn't I be able to handle my problems? Well, you don't know what the problem's going to be. Okay. There's just this intrinsic sense that, of course, like, they're going to be capable of doing something. They're going to be able to handle whatever comes their way. Okay? Um, and it's not like, oh, yes, I have learned about myself that I'm capable. No, it's like, like just their, their automatic assumption going in is like, whatever, whatever God throws my way, like, oh, look. Like, that would be nice. Right, that's, a, that's a really, okay. Then they're all, right, um, and so then there, and that, there's this sense, it's, it's, not even a, it's not even something you consciously almost experience. It's just they're totally in the background, okay. So what happens if a person, they fail. They feel miserably at something. So then they feel miserably, like, okay, that was a failure, you know? And so they feel like, like I should learn from that failure, figure out what I need to do differently, and move on in life, right? Like, it never occurred to them that the fact that that failed somehow reflects on their very being. Right? That, 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 that their being is important, is significant, doesn't depend on the success of what they're doing. And on the contrary, if I fail, then because my being is important, I should learn from that and move on, right? Okay, so do they have a positive view of themselves or a negative view of themselves? It's, you'd say positive, but the trick is, are they spending a lot of time thinking about themselves? No. No, this is what's called implicit. It's something that they're not even, they're not in their mind sitting there looking at themselves and saying, yes, I approve, no, I don't approve. There's just this starting it's point, like it's just this inherent starting point of, you know, my self-worth doesn't depend on what I'm doing. My self-worth demands of me that I should improve. And that's so innate that I don't even notice that. Okay? Which is very different than a person looking at themselves in the metaphoric mirror in their mind and like, yes, I approve of myself. Right? right? So they call this implicit, meaning you don't know, it's like in the background, you're not even aware of that's happening. Whereas explicit, like you're busy looking at yourself in, in the metaphoric mirror. Okay. So now, I raise the... So here's the thing. Okay? Is the etsem the is good. So if you're in touch with your very self, yeah, it's, good. it's good. And what would you feel? You feel capable of dealing with whatever comes your way. Yeah. You feel that no matter what happens, 
That's like that's you don't you're not your your self worth doesn't depend on your success and your failures. You feel like if things are bad, right? Something in you says I should make it better, right? And that's it. Whereas if you're talking about your yeshus, you now have a whole drama going on about this thing that I call myself. Right? This concept of myself, is it good? Is it not good? Does it measure up? Does it not measure up? Do I like it? Do I not like it? How do I tweak it? How do I improve it? And you're placing, playing a game in your head about creating this artificial person instead of actually being yourself. Right? And the key thing is that that actually is the barrier not just between you and yourself, it's also the barrier between you and other people. Right? Because then what happens is that that, like, everything has to like fit with whatever your self-concept is if you really like your self-concept and everything you know is, 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 is everything I mean, you really hate your self-concept then that becomes the issue and it becomes like a wall between people and so a lot of times conversations are basically you know my self-concept and your self-concept interacting and we're hiding behind them wearing masks Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And so when Hasidus speaks about this idea of the etzem, right? What does the etzem mean? The etzem means there's 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 something in me that makes me me, and that thing is intrinsically good. And it's not like I look at it and say, "Wow, it's so wonderful." That etzem is like you're not you're not sitting and looking at it. You're looking out. It's like it infuses you with innate positivity rather than like you're sitting there and looking at yourself in the metaphoric mirror and saying, I approve of myself, I'm proud of myself, or the opposite. Okay. So, Yeshus is always considered to be bad in Chassidus because Yeshus always covers over and gets in the way of that of yourself. And yourself ultimately is your link to God. Now, you want to get a little more complicated? Sure. Okay. Yeshus comes in two forms, a male form and a female form. And I don't mean to say that this necessarily correlates to men and women. Yeah. Okay. So the male form of Yeshus, okay, the male form, okay, the male form is the feeling I am somebody. And the female form is I'm nobody. Okay? You ever feel like you're nobody? Nobody sees me. Nobody likes me. I'm not good enough. Yeah. Whatever it is, that's I don't measure up. Right? And obvious, and it's not just like it's not like I failed the test. I failed the test, therefore I'm worthless. Either worthless or worthless, depending on you know how extreme, right? And the opposite would be the male version. I passed the test, and therefore I am somebody, right? Now, why do we call this male and female? Right? Because the Torah describes men and women right at the beginning of the Torah, right? It's the curse. The Chava is that she'll desire her husband and he'll rule over her. So, in, in the negative, what that means is the feeling that I'm a nobody makes you desire somebody. to be somebody. 
and the need to be somebody ends up governing everything you do and taking over, and that's why people end up making a lot of stupid choices in life. Yeah. I understand, like, how would a non-Hasidist person so this is what Hasidus came and said, is that a lot of people's I am somebody, what they do, and everybody's the somebody is different, right? I'm a nobody, I don't want to be nobody, I have to be somebody, so I want to be somebody, I'm going to be a Tamil Chacham, I'm going to be a rabbi, I'm going to be a pious person, I'm going to be a whatever. You, you, you're just using Judaism for that. And that was like the thing that the Balshantov came and said, like, no, this is, that's not good. I mean, the, the mitzvahs are great, the Torah is great, but the way you're coming at it, that's not what it is. Right? By the way, people have this also, like, I want to be a good mother. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good question. That's no. It's bad thing. I want to be a good mother is a bad thing. I want to be a good counselor. I want to be good anything. Mm -hmm. So then what, what, would have to, what would have to change? Well, you would want to, like, in the situation that you were in as a mother, like, no. Oh, is it, I, I, first of all, you say, I am a mother, because these are my children, and I would like that I would, my interactions with them would reflect that. Because it's not about being... You say I want to be the mother. Oh. So this is, this is what, what, this is what Chassidah says, is that this, there's a blurriness there, and that's what ends up pushing us down the wrong road. Instead of having clear, it's like, I don't going to become a better person by being a good mother. I'm not a worse person because I'm a bad mother. What it is the case is that I am a mother, I deep down care about my children, and I don't always feel like that. How do I feel like that more? I don't always treat them as I should. How do I do that more? It's about making sure that my outsides reflect that instead of about becoming something. Because when it's becoming something, it all becomes all about me. It becomes about, do I approve myself? Do I not approve myself? Do I approve of the Asian? Do I approve of the Asian? And then the child becomes a proxy, and a lot of children sometimes feel that. that or, or spouses feel that, or friends feel that, that this person is, they're being nice to me, they're being good to me, but it's really all about, they want to be able to go to sleep and I feel I'm proud of myself because I'm a good father, mother, husband, wife. So then how can someone say they want to be a good husband? They can't. They can't. Ouch. Do you just want to be a husband? Is that the title good? No, you can't. No, because then that's how you're defining yourself. What if you say, I'm a husband, I just want to I mean, the thing to remember is that I'm using words to get at right, sense. Right. It doesn't matter the words that you use, it's the sense, but we're trying to be a little more precise in the wording to get different sense. So you didn't say you not I'm yourself by that, is what you're saying. But to do it, so, 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 so the whole attitude person? of what? What about being a good person? Like, you can't even say that? I want to be a good person? So I'll tell you what, what one of the great chassidim used to say. No, you are a good person. One of the great Yuchsidim, at, at, the end of, at the end of the night, you're supposed to make an accounting. So this is how we did it. I'm not, it's not like a instruction, this is how everybody should live their life, but this is, this is just, it, it reflects something, okay? I'll maybe tell you a few other stories. So he used to take a time, he'd open to chapter two, and he would sit there. Did I tell you the story before? No. And he would say like this, he would look at it, and he would say, And he didn't need to translate, but the translation is, in the second soul, and every Jew is literally a piece of Hashem from on high. And then he repeated again, and repeated again, and repeated again. He would think, and he would think, really deeply, introspectively, until at some point, 
Sometimes it took five minutes, sometimes it took a half hour, but every night, I mean, it's not even a person, very person who's very deep, very touched with himself. But at some point, after thinking about it and saying it, and thinking about it and saying it, and thinking about it and saying it, he would eventually just burst into tears and saying, Und wer is das? And where is it? Meaning, like, my whole day, where, where, if that's really who I am, where do I, how come I don't feel it? I'm not in touch with that. I, I want to become something? I don't want to become something. I'm alienated from myself, and I don't want to be alienated from myself. Right? I'm not, I'm not myself. That's the problem. You don't get a title. I want to become a vain in me. It's like the most ridiculous thing ever. You don't become. The question is, how, how much in touch with yourself are you? And how much of the way you live and feel reflects that? Right? And that notion is rooted in the idea right, that etzim is the self. Right? And the self is not something that I can pin down, but I can certainly be in touch with or not in touch with it. I can certainly be, ref- be the way I act and maybe even the way I feel and the way I think and the way I make sense of the world, be, be in tune with that, be authentic to that. Or I could be in this involved in this other make-believe project of feeling like I'm a nobody, wanting to be a somebody, being happy that I'm a somebody, and being afraid of becoming a nobody again, which is where most of us live our lives, unfortunately. What? <laughs> And the point you is, the problem is, it's very hard, but that's the problem. So this is, yeah, you've got to be you. The problem is that you've, you've bought into the lie, a lie about who you are. And, and you've bought into it so deeply. Like, also, we look at each other as just what the, that image might be. That's right. Like, like, if I can't even see myself for what I actually am, like, how am I supposed to see like, anyone in my life for how they are? Because I know myself a lot better than other people. So, I'm like so, like, so I, I, will, I will tell you the I'll answer to this lie. question. <laughs> I'll tell you the answer to this question. But it's like that becomes a whole topic for Fabring. And this is why Chesedit has the idea of a Rebbe. That the basic qualification of a Rebbe is someone whose whole life, they're themselves. The uh, they're themselves. Their true self. And so they see you the way they see you. And so if you use them to mediate your relationship with yourself, you now have some kind of guidance. So it's not about your relationship with God, it's your relationship with yourself. Well, remember, where is God but found? In, yes, but... In your very self. Because you, you, what makes you you is the little bit of God in you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, it's all connected. So that's what we mean. We're saying the essence, right? So that's what we mean. Like essence, essence is like essence. It's a lofty level. It's not a level. It's not a. It's a thing. Like the the problem is, you can make something so glorious that you forget like how relevant it is. So everything like Tana tells us to work on, all we do is to get in tune with you. Is to either be in tune with you or make sure you're acting and feeling in a way that actually is being authentic. Even right says, look, you may not feel like I'm being in touch with yourself, but at least act like yourself. So there's certain actions I do that I feel like are not only really, 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 really me. Yeah. I'll give you an example, which has nothing to do with, like, you know, you know, religious stuff, right? Are we able to take it? I'm going to get... Uh, <laughs> That's just an inevitable question. <laughs> I don't understand. I'll, get, I'll, I'll give you an example, okay? So let's say, let's say you're married, and you're having what is a typical experience in marriage, which is that you and your spouse, your husband, in your case, my wife in my case, are having a fight. A fight does not necessarily mean yelling and screaming. It means you feel emotionally distant. There's a lot of tension. That happens in marriage. Okay? Very, I mean, there might be marriages where that doesn't happen, but, like, you know, there's also tzaddikim in the world who have no yitzahar, right? They're, they're about equally rare. 
In fact, the marriages are probably more rare than tzaddikim, given that not all tzaddikim have wonderful marriages, because marriages involve two people. Um, so now, here's the thing, right? So your husband makes a comment, or in my case, my wife makes a comment, and what comes to mind, there's a defensiveness, there's, a, there's, an, a, there's an abrasiveness, and you're like, and you have something ready to say that like hits back, and you know it hurts, and you're like, Okay, what do you, if you're going to do, be yourself. So now, is yourself that um, negativity you're feeling towards your husband at that moment? Or is the self more reflected in the value you have for your relationship? Where's, wh which one of those is, is more in line with your true self? The value you have for your relationship. I mean, like, the real you would be holding back. The, re the real you wouldn't feel this way. But you do feel this way right now. The real you wouldn't feel the need to say something that would like just okay. hit right. Yeah. So being yourself would be what? Holding back. Actually, but being yourself would be more than that. No, not having the desire to do that at all. No, 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 but, but, we're, but, <laughs> but, but we're being realistic. But we're being realistic. You're already there. You already feel this way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Right? Is it really nice, your real self? You could say something like, there's a lot of tension. I don't want to fight with you. I don't think you want to fight with me. Maybe we should take a break. You could do something, right? Like maybe you've already not in the same room, right? You could do something like make the other person a, a cup of tea, right? You can do something or say something, even if it's literally nothing other than doing and the saying, but saying this at the very least is in line with my true self, is in line with your true self. We'll get to the place where hopefully the feelings will come back. Right? So being, right, you see what I'm saying? It's not, it's not faking it. It's not faking it. It's not, it's, I'm not pretending to feel what I don't feel. Yeah, you're pretending to be fine. You're no, I'm not pretending to feel. No, you're not saying you're fine. You're saying I am I'm not, not fine, but we're taking a step away. I am not fine, but the not fine exists on which level of my being? On which level of my existence? Energy. On my feelings right now. Does that mean my behavior has to be not fine? No. So I'm going to make my behavior fine because that's what I'm going to do, and then we're going to come back to the feelings later. And bad behavior, they're making whatever is really you. Yeah. And you know what? If you like live life like that with your, with, when you get married with your husband and with your children, if you do that with God, right? Then, then, then you can start working on the feelings and things get better, right? But if you, so it's, yes, be true to yourself. But the question is, is it a self or is it the image of yourself? The image of yourself. Yeah. And the problem is that we don't have just one image of ourself. It gets really complicated. Right? There's so many layers, and part, of, and part of the image of ourselves is that I'm a deep enough person to deal with the deepest levels of my being. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not holding there right now. It's like... So that all comes back to that, that difference between the idea of etzem and yeshus, right? So, yeah, you have to get rid of your yeshus. You have to get rid of yourself. It's not your, your yeshus isn't yourself. Your yeshus is that artificial thing in your mind that you've convinced is yourself. And therefore, as long as you're wrapped up in defending that and protecting that, you're not actually able to be in touch with your real self. And your real self is your link to Hashem. We have moments in our day that we're actually in tune with ourselves? To various degrees. Every time, every single time that you feel one way, and you know this way is not really who I am, and you don't act that way, you're in some measure in touch with yourself. Right, you don't Every time I have someone has my national holiday, 
or I mean, whatever, controlling themselves. Yeah, but but it's, it's, there's controlling yourself because I'm afraid of what's gonna happen to me. There's controlling yourself because like, there's like, like, where a person has that moment where like, let's say get angry. I feel angry, I really feel angry. But like, you know what, the anger isn't me. So I don't wanna act based on the anger because the anger isn't really who I am. There's an awareness that, that touches on some level of your real self. What? But this is work. Like, if you want to know what Tanya, like, Tanya is like, I mean, we're, we're learning one chapter, we're learning about mitzvahs, right? But, like, like Tanya is putting all of Judaism into this kind of a context. Yeah. All right. right. So, anyway, so when we're talking about this, is just, like I said, this is a detour. It's not what our chapter is about. We've got the idea of etzem. It's important to talk about what etzem means. Yeah. So, we're talking about Hashem's etzem. So, Hashem's etzem is what makes him. Hashem. Now, here's the thing, yeah? Does Hashem have something that blocks who he is? No. Yes, he does. It's called well, klipa. He well, even, to us, but not just for Hashem. Hashem. But even it's, all the descriptions you're putting on him, even roughly, like anything. Well, that yeah, depends. Even that is like it. Well, that depends. It depends if a sense of him comes through or not. In other words, that's true. On our side, is Hashem's essence blocked from us? Yes. Then yes. But yeah. you're saying it's I'm not saying that Hashem is the same thing as us. What I'm saying is a similar issue applies, which is that just like there's this other stuff that blocks. Right, this image of right? what self could be, yeah. So, right? For sure. I have an image of what like Hashem thinks that. Right, but no, also things, things that happen in the world. There are things that, right? right? Suffering happens in the world. It's like, how could there be God? There's suffering. So then that suffering is doing what? It's blocking the sense of who Hashem really is. There's an analogy there. If, does it depend on and what it actually says, just one second, the reason I'm bringing this up is it actually says that when we get rid of our own yeshus, that's what, like, the klipas, the block God's essence, and the yeshus, which blocks our essence, are linked together. Altar says this later on. And as we are able to break through our yeshus, that breaks through all the klipas that blocks God's goodness in the world. Right, because the hardest thing to do is find that hard to yeah, it's late. I'm just yeah. the, 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 what I want you to appreciate is how how this idea of of, of the etzem of, of the very self is like the critical idea in Chassidus. Yeah, that's really hard to find out after um, hundred years being in the Chassidus system. Right. Um, but um, so the suffering goes now blocks Hashem's essence. It's the way you perceive it, right? Does Klippa block it? Well, no, I would, I would say the reason why I would say is that is when Hashem looks at suffering, does Hashem say, ah, that really reflects who I am? Or does Hashem say, that doesn't reflect who I am at all? No, but so if you see it as not a reflection of Hashem, then... I don't see it as a reflection of Hashem. Then you're fine. I, it still blocks his essence. I don't, he, he is everywhere, right? And right. so the suffering, right? If, when I look at the suffering, I don't see Hashem. When Hashem looks at the suffering, he doesn't see himself there either. Really? Really. Wait, what? Whoa, wait. Wait, so you see not there? What? I didn't say he's not there. Remember, we had this idea of revelation? Right, so it's just blocking. Yeah. In the suffering, suffering doesn't, it's not, a, it's not a vessel for Hashem's revelation. It's not a garment of Hashem's revelation. It just. Abstra- person look for Hashem? It's just not what? It's just not what? It's not a way to, it, the suffering doesn't reveal Hashem. Should a person use it, though, to do that or no? A suffering can prompt things which reveal Hashem. But that's another discussion. What? What do you mean, what? God creates suffering, yes. right? And doesn't see himself in, himself in us. 
you create a self-image and don't see your true self in it. Okay, but I'm the person and God yeah. is God. Right, so you do it, you do it by some kind of default and God does it with some kind of ultimate goal in mind. Right. There's a difference. I agree with you there's a difference, but I'm just pointing out that there's also a similarity. I understand how I could view suffering and be like, I don't see God in that, but I don't understand how God can't be God in that. Because to see yourself in something, that thing has to reflect who you really are. If God is really good then, and suffering is not good, so what is suffering? It's a, it's a means to a greater good, which is another discussion for another time. There's an idea of the descent is for the sake of an ascent, that when things get that things getting worse is a way for things to get better. I'm not right. Get, right. So, but, but the worse is worse. It's not better. Okay. So that's his essence. On the other hand, we have this thing called wisdom and will. Remember that? <laughs> Next level. <laughs> okay. The, so what is his uh, essence? Wait, no essence. Anything, anything could be you putting an image on Hashem, though, right? Anything. Whether it's Kedusha or Kedusha, it could be you making an image of Hashem. Right. Is that a Hedera? It depends on who's doing it and why. When a little child thinks that Hashem is the big Zaydi in the sky, that's not a very bizarre, because the child is like relating to Hashem as sincerely and innocently as possible. Like that's the way their mind works, right? But if after appreciating that Hashem can't be a giant Zaydi in the sky, I nonetheless decide that it's more comfortable for me to think of him that way, and I'm going to ignore the difficulties of relating to an infinite being, then I am entering into some kind of a bizarre. Yeah. Now, are those lines easy to draw? No, they're not easy to draw. But they do exist, yeah. Like, once you have the mental sophistication to realize that Hashem is not a giant Zaydi in the sky, then you probably should start relating to him as not the giant Zaydi in the sky. Right. Now you have to figure, okay, how do I relate to him? Those are fair questions, right? Hence the importance of learning Chassidus. Okay. So, we've learned about essence? Okay, we all know what essence is? Okay. Or is essence the kind of thing you know what it is? No. Or is essence you know essence? You, you know how to define it. For this. Yeah. Essence is something that you live. You live from that place. You don't. You don't. You don't. You don't become it. You don't achieve it. You don't define it. It's who you are. And then, if it's who you are, then you try and act that way. You try and feel that way. You try and understand that way. You try and live that way. Yeah. Every time any Jew feels like they should do a mitzvah and they don't know why, what is that? That's their essence. Every time a Jew has a nice story in their head of why they're religious, what's that? That's Yeshus. I'm religious. The story in your head about why you're why you're religious. I'm religious because I'm a very, I always looked for the deeper meaning in life. And I searched until I found all through the religions. I found that Judaism is the ultimate truth. No, that, that's not really why. What's really why is because your true self is godly. And for whatever, you know, reason that was able to manifest. And so you feel some sense of belonging to the Torah and the mitzvahs. Right? And the story is just like, you know, 
this is the argument about why like you don't need to like worry so much about like when you ask someone to do a mitzvah, is it gonna make them religious or not? Like who cares? Like right? Being yourself even for one moment is valuable, right? Okay. So that's the idea of essence. Next week we will talk about the idea of wisdom and will and I'll start to say, wait a minute, wisdom and will don't sound like essence at all. The f- doing mitzvahs is behavior that's in alignment with your essence. You want to hear a good story? Yeah. Okay. There was a Jew. I might have told you this story before, but I'll tell you it again anyway. There was a Jew who grew up in a religious home, and he, he fried out in the 60s. And um, he was in a band. And his band was very good. Like they played openings for the Rolling Stones, kind of good. And he was part of that whole lifestyle. If you don't know what that lifestyle is, as the Rebbe would say, good for you. <laughs> the Rebbe would say, like, and people don't know what baseball is, good for you. <laughs> we talk about something. If you don't know, good. And, um, but he, he got involved in a lot of like Eastern mysticism because that was all the rage then amongst that kind of whole group. And um, he, he was also. Got uh, had a I don't know exactly all the details, but he had a relationship with um, a shliach in I believe shliach is in Buffalo, New York. Gerari. Um, yeah, I believe so. Mm-hmm. And um, he asked he had these all these philosophical questions about God and whatever and Judaism. And um, Gerari, being a good shliach, says um, you should just go to the rabbi. <laughs> and so he sends him to the rabbi. And getting a point with the rabbi is an impossible thing to do, right? On short notice. So someone t- gives him the advice that wait till the Rebbe is going into 770 and try and like, you know, confront the Rebbe on the doorstep. And so the Rebbe pulls up in the car and the Rebbe comes out and he's just, he's, he didn't know what the, the Rebbe looked like, but he sees a distinguished looking rabbi walk out and the Rebbe starts walking 770. So he stands in front of the Rebbe and asks him in Yiddish, because he spoke Yiddish from the home, are you the Lubavitcher Rebbe? And the Rebbe nods his head and approves, doesn't say anything. He says, can I ask you a question? It's all in Yiddish. And he says, the Rebbe says, ask. And he says, where is God? And so the Rebbe says, in everywhere and in everything. And he describes the whole thing that people often describe. When they were like, talking to the Rebbe one-on-one, like the whole world melted away. He just saw the Rebbe's face. The whole, I could, like... and, um, the Rebbe, and he says to the Rebbe, I know, but where is God? And the Rebbe says, in every stick and in every stone. And he asked the Rebbe, I know, but where is God? And the Rebbe says, if this is how you're asking, then God is in your heart. Yeah. And then he says, I wanna, can I ask the Rebbe this question in English because it's more philosophical, my Yiddish isn't so good. He says, yeah, I understand English. So his question was, and I'm going to say it the way he said it, in the 1960s, okay? So he says, we say Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, Hashem our God, Hashem is one. What about the black man? What about the Indian? Not everyone's God. And so the Rebbe says, the essence of a black man is to be who he is as a black man. The essence of the Indian is to be who he is as an Indian. And the essence of a Jew is to be bound up with God through Torah and mitzvahs. Now, given what we've learned today, that answer should be a lot deeper than just if I said it beforehand, right? What is the Rebbe saying? What was his question? What was the answer? His question was, isn't the God of everybody? And what was, and what was the Rebbe's answer? The answer is, 
There is someone who, uh, using his words, who the black man is, right? And if a black man is going to be true to who he is, he has his connection with God, right? His essence is to be who he is. Never didn't say what that is. And his essence of the Indian is to be who he is, right? There's a true self of who he is, and he has to be that. And that. But you're a Jew, and the way for a Jew to be himself is to be connected to Hashem through two images, and that's unique to a Jew. Then the Rebbe told him he should get a Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch and start learning it and put it on tefillin every day. And it took him six weeks to come to do that, but he started doing that, and now he's from, he lives in L.A., he's got four kids. He's probably in his early 20s, I guess. The 60s. 60s, maybe the 70s by then, I don't know. Um, so, that's the idea. That's one of my favorite stories, by the way. All right, next week we'll learn about wisdom and will and whether they are or not the essence.